The Home Show with Sinead Ryan on News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome along to The Home Show. This is Sinead Ryan and you're on News Talk Radio. Coming up today, if you've ever fancied keeping a few hens in the back garden, well, there's a course for you. I'll be finding out all about it. Our legal clinic on neighbourhood disputes, planning issues and your questions answered with solicitor Catherine Arda. Joey Sheehan will be here talking about the mortgage market in 2024 for first-time buyers. And Denise O'Connor will be here from Optimised Design on how to create a luxurious bathroom. If you'd like to get in touch with us today, you can do so on 53106 for 30 cents. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, good morning. Welcome along today. We have our legal clinic coming up later with solicitor uh, Catherine Arda. And I must say, going through the questions, lots of people seem to have ongoing problems with neighbours. I think there's nothing worse than ill feeling on both sides of a fence. And to echo the words of Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, of course, we can't choose who lives next door to us, but surely it's a good idea to try and get on at least, minimise problems. And when there's a local issue, there is nothing like a close-knit community to get together and try and solve it. And many political careers have been started, unless it has to be said, if you have any advice uh, for listeners on how to make sure good neighbours become good friends, well, do let us know. That's the home show at newstalk.com. You're very welcome along this morning. Now, lots of people have a romantic dream to move to the country and keep hens in the garden. Lovely fresh eggs every morning, clucking chickens around the place. Have you ever wanted to learn what you need to do to keep some hens well? Friend of the home show, Michael Kelly from GIY in Waterford joins me now. Michael, you're very welcome back to the show. Morning, Sinead. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Now, you are, we'll get on to the course in a minute, but you uh, keep hens yourself. Have you always done that? I've I've definitely done it for about 15, 16 years, I'd say, Sinead. Yeah, so for, for a long time, I've had, I've, I've had them started very small, you know, three or four hens and probably went up to about 30, 30 at one stage, back down to about 10 now. Um, so yeah, they've been part of our lives for ages, and we we couldn't we couldn't be without them mainly because the eggs are so good. I think that's mm. the problem. Once you start keeping them, you're kind of like <laughs> you can never go back because really? they are just the egg quality is just um, it's it's unbelievable. Which I've which I've often sort of wondered, tried to get my he- head around why that is because even if you compare them with like the very best organic you know free range eggs that you'd buy they're like a hundred percent better. Really? And, and I, yeah. And I, and I think it's because with, with a small flock of birds, which is, you know, even, even, even if you had 10 or 20 yourself, that's tiny compared to the big commercial flocks, which would be hundreds, mm-hmm. if not thousands of birds. And I think it's just, you've, you've a, a more content hen in a small flock, you know, there's, there's no competition for food or space. They're just, they're just happy and, and you tend to get absolutely amazing eggs as a result. Gosh, because I think it's one of those things that very few people are prepared to compromise on because eggs are not an expensive product. They're a fabulous yeah. whole food. And when you yeah. go in and you, you punt out on the organic, the corn fed, the free range, you're saying that keeping them at home, it's even better again. It's it's definitely better again. Now, you can get really good quality eggs and, and actually the quality you know, ebbs and flows during the year because when hens have access to fresh grass and stuff like that in the spring, 
um, the, you know, the egg quality tends to improve. So it's a bit variable during the year, even with our own hens. But mm. absolutely, as as a, as a sort of a direct comparison, there there just does, does, there is no comparison. They're amazing, and you know, like even even we give a couple of uh, when we have a surplus, we give them to family. You know, and and they just like they just go mad for the quality of them. Right. Like a really bright orange yolk, you know, holds together really well when you poach them and stuff. Mm. Like they're just they're absolutely delicious. And you, as you said, like great whole food, brilliant source of protein. And I always feel like you can you can have a very easy to have a sort of a full meal that's from your garden when you have your own hens because you can throw up a frittata or an omelette or whatever. And tell me, Michael, do you enjoy their company? I mean, do you give them names? You've got kids. (laughs) Do you get attached to them? No, I mean you get you get attached to them as a collective. Like they're they're very hard to tell apart. So like I I couldn't. We definitely don't name them. You you know you wouldn't really tell one from the other, particularly if you've the same breed. Um, and and we have experimented over the years with lots of different you know lovely lovely different colors of of hens and you know unusual breeds. But we we tend to just focus on the the Rhode Island Red, which is the classic sort of laying hen and, um, you know, because they're just very reliable layers. So, so they're, they all look the same, but you know, they're lovely, a lovely bit of color in the garden, particularly at this time of the year when, when it's a bit drab and, and gray, you know, so, um, but I, I don't get attached to them individuals <laughs> the way you would with a dog or a cat. Ah, you know? I thought you were no romantic. I was I was no. unsure you were going to give them Disney names or, you know. <laughs> Listen to me, why do you think it is that people like the idea of keeping hens? Is it that just touch of, you know, the earth and the rural idyll and they're, they're perceived maybe as, as easy enough to keep more than, say, you know, geese or ducks? Yeah, or pigs, you know, I, I, I suppose they're not, it's not like proper animal husbandry. I think, I think like pretty much anyone can do it. And, and it's not, doesn't have to be rural. Like I, I think, uh, you know, a suburban or urban garden, if you've got, you know, a bit of space, even, even your classic sort of semi-detached or urban, urban house garden, I think you'd, you'd easily be able to keep a couple of hens. So they're, they're very easy to keep. There's, you know, very low maintenance once, once they're healthy and, and which they will be if they're outside. Mm. Um, and, and they're just a fantastic, um, you know, uh, sort of circular, uh, animal to have in the garden because you can, you can throw out any, any kind of food scraps within reason, certainly any veg sort of scraps out to them. They turn that into eggs and then they're, they're, the hen poo is, is like absolute dynamite for the, for the compost heap. Oh and then that, that compost, you know, helps you grow more yeah. food. So like so they're a brilliant full, circular. Full, full service full. poultry. Um, full now, service. so for anybody who is interested in it, then you're going to be running a course down in GIY in March uh, to try and teach people how to keep hens at home. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, it's it's really just to sort of demystify the whole thing for people because it is, you know, it's a step up from sort of, you know, growing some of your own veg or whatever. Um, it's it it's, uh, takes place on, on the 24th of March down in Grow HQ, as you said, which is a Sunday. Um, it's with our head, our head grower, Richard Mee. Um, and it's covering, you know, everything just to get yourself up and running. So what housing you need, what you need to feed them, where to buy them 
how to keep them sort of safe from predators, uh, you know, uh, how to keep them healthy, uh, any problems that you might have with them and so on. So it's really just to get people from who are maybe curious about it and get them to the point of being able to, mm. you know, k- keep a couple of hens in the garden successfully and do it properly. So so it will cover, cover all aspects of it from start to finish and hopefully you know, get people to a point where they'd be confident to go out and buy a couple of hens. And it's it's a brilliant time to do it, obviously, because you're uh, getting getting now to a point where you, hens kind of, they start, the, the production of eggs starts to dip a little bit over the winter, whereas, mm. you know, now with the spring coming in, it's, they're, they're back up to, to sort of full... Um, full throttle as it were with laying, laying those lovely eggs <laughs> okay, uh, so it's a so, great time of the year to get into it so the course is on Sunday the 24th of March how, how, how much in is 80 euros is it 80 euro uh, yeah for a full day and obviously a lovely lovely Grow HQ lunch included and just to put in context like you pay about 12 euro for uh, for for a hen typically to buy one like so they're, they're, yeah they're relatively wow. cheap okay and uh you know some people like to kind of get um you know post post laying hens from sort of production commercial um mm. egg production a rescue and, hen and, yeah exactly and that's you know typically free but even if you're to buy one 12 euro but but like each hen will lay you know five six hundred euros worth of eggs in its lifetime so so they're you know they're a brilliant investment it's a very cheap source of food and, you know, I think in that context, the course is pretty good value too. Now, there might be people listening who live in kind of more urban areas than you do. Um, you yeah. live in this gorgeous expanse of land and you have Grow HQ there. So uh, for people in urban areas, and I know traditionally people in Dublin and Cork would have kept chickens in their backyard. How feasible is it to do that, say, in a suburban garden? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how much how much other things are competing for space. Like if the place is full of trampolines and and you know clotheslines <laughs> and whatever. Like you know, but absolutely, I think you know, as I said, it's a sort of suburban back garden. Um, that sort of typical size garden you could have. Like g- generally speaking, you have like a kind of a little coop. It's a, it's a mobile kind of house that has a sort of a run attached to it and it can be lifted up and moved. So the key is that you want them on sort of fresh grass, ideally most of the time. So you can kind of lift that up and move it on before the grass gets destroyed and they have mm. sort of fresh grass the whole time. And um, so, so, and in, in a space, in a uh, coop like that, they're, they're safe from foxes. Like yeah. so they're free, they're free ranging effectively because they're, they're on fresh grass but you're also keeping them really safe. And, and foxes are obviously a problem in urban areas. Yeah, and is, well, that their, is that their main predator? I mean, do you have to worry about your own house animals, dogs and cats as well? Um, you need to introduce them carefully enough to dogs. But like mm. our, our dog is, um, you know, once the dogs get used to them, I think cats are kind of afraid of them, you know, pretty much. Um, whereas dogs, depending on the breed, like a hunting dog, like a, like a Springer Spaniel or whatever, could be interested in them, but as long as you introduce them carefully and you set sort of boundaries for them, they be they should be they should get along well together. Right. And actually, the, the the sort of hunting breeds can be quite protective of them, you know, because that's in their nature too. Um, so, so, but but yes, beyond that, your sort of foxes are the main predator, and they will, you know, they will go after them at nighttime. So typically, like the main thing to keep them safe is that you're locking them in at nighttime. You can okay. you can let them wander around the garden but absolutely lock them up at night to keep them safe. All right. Well, listen, um, Michael, that's, it's been fascinating and I know there's massive interest in the course and you may well have to run another one. Tell us how people can find out more about it. 
Yeah, so if, um, the place to book it is just on our website, SineadGIY.ie, and you can you can check it out there. There is great interest in it, as you say, and we, we might be looking to put on a second course, oh. depending on the demand. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing people in Grow HQ Fantastic. in March. And you'll have a clucking great time down there if you do it right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I was wondering, would we do a head <laughs> at some point? So, well done, you. All right, Michael Kelly Thanks, of Sinead. DIY in Waterford. Thanks a million uh, for joining us on The Home Show. And if you are in the Waterford, area, do not miss a trip down there because it is an absolutely fabulous place and um, Mick will talk to you again. Good night. It is time for our legal clinic and I know that this is a popular segment when we do it because people get very exercised about all kinds of things to do with boundary disputes and noise pollution and neighbours doing things they shouldn't and all of that. Uh, so I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine Arda, partner and Notary Public with Arda McCabe. Solicitor, you're very welcome back, Catherine. Thank you very much. Um, generally speaking, I mean, I suppose you would be of the view that sorting things out without a solicitor, without you having to get a call, is possibly the best way. Yeah, absolutely. For any type of dispute, it's always better to try and talk things through and mediate it yourselves. But then it does come sometimes to, you know, an end where you need a solicitor. But ultimately, a lot of things you can do even without a solicitor uh, by going to your local district court or, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, you know, as a lay litigant if you want to try and address things. Yeah, it's a tough one because, I mean, there's nothing worse than a bad neighbour or a perceived bad neighbour where you kind of feel we've, we're in this space now, we can't talk to each other, you know, and, and then you have communities where everybody gets together and pulls together when there's a road being built or a shop being put in or whatever. So it is an important uh, part of life, isn't it? But it's it? also very important, I think, to invest in your neighbours and to understand mm. where they're coming from, like what their sort of day-to-day life is like. Because if you don't know someone, you can't really understand like why they might be, you know, a bit upset about why you're doing it. And sometimes mm. when you get to know your neighbours better, you can talk things through a lot easier and a lot better and communication becomes, you know, more flowing. And if you are, are planning to put up a shed or, you know, an extension, people are a bit more amenable to allowing you and to helping you and to being you know, helpfully constructive. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the surprise people don't like, isn't it, mainly? Absolutely. Yeah. They really don't like you, sort of, the neighbour who's just moved in, have never even popped in to say hello, and then all of a sudden they're putting up an extension. So yeah. you do have to invest in your neighbours and your community. And if you do invest, you know, it will pay dividends and, you know, you'll be able to work things out. But yeah, and I mean, even if you're, even if you say, look, I've the right to do it because it meets all the planning rules, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the courtesy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. Well, let's start with a a question. Stephen in Dublin. What is the legal rule around noise in a neighbourhood? We have a pair of dogs in a house next door that bark all the time. The owners owners are out all day. And aside from the cruelty aspect, it's very annoying as both my wife and I work from home. We've tried having a word, but they've ignored us. Now, there was a lot of COVID dogs bought. And look, whatever the merits or demerits of leaving them in the house all day, which I'm sure we'll probably all agree isn't the right thing, it can be very irritating to constantly hear them barking in the back garden or in the house. Yeah, and as you say, COVID dogs, when people were working from home and now people are gone back to the office, so they're leaving their dogs in their gardens. Um, you can obviously, as we said before, it's about really important to talk to your neighbours. Mm. If you're at home all day, like it might be the case that you might like to like walk your neighbour's dog or if you have that type of relationship. But ultimately talk to them, like explain why you're, 
you know, why the dog barking is excessive and it's, you know, causing a nuisance to you. There are, Ultimately, there are, you can go to the district court and look for orders in terms of reducing the amount of dogs on the premises, reducing the sounds. But you don't really want to bring your neighbours to the district court. Like once you do that, you know, relationships mm. are going, you know, going sour. It's a tough one, though. There are dog wardens in the councils, aren't there? Or some councils. Yeah, well, ultimately, if things go so far with the district court, the district court judge can make an order that your dog um, is delivered to a dog warden as an unwanted dog. But then again, that's really like the nuclear option. Like you don't want to be yeah. going there with your with your neighbours. You want to because you're going to have to live with your neighbours yeah. for like decades to come, hopefully. See, and the person who's out at work all day might say, "My dog doesn't bark. My dog's grand. Sure, I leave it food. I leave it water. It can get in and out of the garden." But and and may not realise would it be a good idea maybe to or or is it a bit hefty to kind of maybe tape the noise, record it, and then play it back to your neighbour. Yeah, well, I don't. I, yeah, there's, there's no problem recording the noise, and I'm sure their neighbor, the neighbor knows about the excessive dog barking. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you might might need to come to some solution where you can ask the neighbor to like employ perhaps a dog walker, yeah. or yeah. you know, come home during the day to mark to walk their dog so that their dog is more at ease. But it's, it's a difficult situation, and it is becoming more difficult because so many dogs are you know. Mm in people's homes. So many dogs are now being returned to different um, pounds around the city. Um, right. Because, because of the COVID yeah. situation, it wasn't great for, for for dog welfare, I don't think, in this no, country. No, no. Okay, Stephen. Well, I hope I hope your neighbour hears you the next time you go in and have, a, have that chat. Uh, John uh, from Carlo. My company is offered a home office refit for those of us permanently working from home. I want to put in a garden office, but my neighbours have objected since it will be up against our joint fence and they say the roof will be over the height. I presume he means the height of the fence. What rights do I have? Now, this comes down to planning, does it? It's a planning one. Obviously, you can build a garden uh, shed or you can build an extension without planning up to 25 metres squared. But you need to always leave 25 metres squared of square of garden. That's sort of the rule for mm. not requiring planning. Okay. Um, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't have the 25 metres square, you have to go down the planning road. In terms of the height of the roof, roof um, you can construct a mono pitch roof or a single pitch roof up to three metres or construct up to four metres in height for a slated or tilted pitch roof. Um, so, so he could go over the fence you can, then? Obviously. You, I mean, that's you can, what, 12 feet or something? You can go over the fence. It doesn't look nice. Like it's, yeah. When you own a property and you have a nice garden and you see your neighbour building a shed that's quite high, it upsets people. And yeah. I, I can see why it yeah. upsets people. People don't like change. So this is another situation where you really have to talk to your neighbours and say, listen... Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's like... Uh, so from what I'm gathering from this, from, from John's question, is that the fence is their garden boundary fence yeah. and he's building the shed up against that fence rather yeah. than at the very bottom of his garden or maybe maybe his neighbour lives over the wall. He can do it. Yeah, he's entitled to yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, he would need agreement if he's building off the boundary, like if he's removing the fence and building where the fence was. Okay, he no, he says up against Up against the joint should be fence. fine, but right. if it was like you know, using the fence and building yeah. sort of in the middle and sort of yeah. getting rid of the fence, he would need agreement. But he might be able to talk to the neighbour and say, listen, and perhaps, like, there's so much um, digital technology out there that you'd be able to sort of visualise what would be less sort of obtrusive, whether like a tiled pitch roof might be less obtrusive than like a uh, a single pitch roof. So like, so compromise maybe compromise. on the style yeah. rather than the height. And that okay. might be so like, and the colour, and that might be mm. something that might appease the neighbours. Mm. But that's where the communication piece comes in. Okay. That's really important. And of course, you don't need permission 
uh, planning permission to construct an office. It's only if it's being lived in, like if it's a if it's a yeah. granny flat or something. Uh, yeah. Okay. But if you want to, if you're building a shed or yeah, it's up to twenty five meters or one of those things. To, you have to then leave twenty five meters yeah. squared of yeah. garden space. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Margaret uh, in Loud says, "My family and I want to sell our mother's house since she is entering a nursing home. She has dementia, and we need to pay for her care." Uh, Dad died a few years ago and we're not quite sure what to do next. She wouldn't be in a position to sign forms or contracts. Sinead, you could actually do a show, I think, on this piece on the Assisted Decision Making Act, especially a lot of people are really interested in it. This has changed recently. There's a new act in place. Tell us, just give us the the, the kind of... So there's the new Assisted Decision Making Act, okay, and it's just which creates a service called the Assisted Decision Making Service, which is like a government service. But to access this service, and on this service you can do enduring powers of attorney, you can have sort of life, living wills, um, sort of decision, sort of joint decision making statements, mm. Mm. and depending on the level of capacity that you lose. It's a great service, but it's quite hard to access if you don't have like a public service card or if you don't have a My Government account, because it all has to be done online. So as a legal practitioner, we would have um, have done a lot of enduring powers of attorney in mm. the old system because mm. it's all paper-based and we sort mm. of can do it with our eyes closed. With the new system, we now end up trying to set up email accounts for people who come in, especially elderly people who are coming in and they want an enduring power of attorney. Right. It has to be created under this new system and they, a lot of them don't have emails, they don't even have... Why that. is that? Because there's a register now or it's something? It's all just online. Okay. So like everyone attached to your enduring power of attorney has to be... Um, but am I right in saying that you need to have capacity to be so, able sorry, to do Sorry, going back it. to this question, yeah. this woman doesn't have capacity. So at this stage, it's too late. So my point okay. is, don't leave it too late. Enduring powers of attorney are so important. It is okay. important. And that's that's a document or a, or a kind of a legal instrument that allows somebody, when you're in the holier health, it allows you to appoint somebody yes, to look absolutely. after your um, affairs, in the your financial you affairs capacity. in the event. So it might never be used yeah, or enacted. It's an insurance policy. Okay, but, but it's too late to do it's it. It's too after, late to do something yeah. here. So okay. in this situation, unless this woman has an enduring pair of attorney, they can't really do anything with her house. Okay, they can right. go down. Because it's not their house. It's not is their home okay. and she doesn't have the capacity to, unless they go and make her a ward of court, which is very costly. Um, and then the other option, they can still put, like if, if she needs to access nursing home supports, they can still go down the fair under deal, fair deal under route the, and get a care representation order. But just for the purpose of accessing nursing home, not for the purpose of selling her home. So it just, right. that really, that question it's really tough, highlights the importance of getting an enduring pair of attorney made. Okay. And and maybe not just for older people, like no, any stage. any of us. Like I've mm. seen young people and they don't have, you know. We, you, you never know. know. You never okay. know. So I'm afraid, Margaret, what, what you're saying there, Catherine, is it's too late to sell the house. You can't sell the house because no. it's not your house. Yeah. Your mum can't sell the house because she doesn't have capacity yeah. to sign the contracts. Um, but you could go under fair deal, but now there's an added loop in order to... Yeah, so to she, she can go down the fair deal route and get a care representation order, but just for the purposes of going into a nursing okay. home. She wouldn't be able to sign the legal documents right. now. Okay, well, look, that's your caveat emptor yeah. uh, statement for, yeah. for that. Okay, and then finally, we have a question um, from a landlord called Michael. We have a tenant in a rental property who's leaving at the end of next month. We don't want to relet it until it's been refitted and we have a son going to stay in it until Christmas to oversee the work, okay? Can we relet it at a higher rent in 2025? We're in a rent pressure zone, but it'll be a year vacant at that stage. 
Okay, so no is the is the quick okay. answer. Um, <laughs> it has to be vacant for like two years. Ah, yeah, okay. Before you can you know reset the rent, or else there's sort of other sort of um, exceptions to that rule where it's a protected structure or where you have made substantial changes. And the substantial changes have to be massively substantial. Yeah, they're like a big extension or something. There's not enough to give it a lick well, of paint. Well, it's actually all got down to, to do with the burr rating. So you have to actually increase your burr rating by seven points to be able to increase the rent, wow, which is exactly. quite like, and to do that, it would require like, you know, huge proper investment. deep retrofit. Yeah, huge See, investment. I'm conscious there are landlords, and I know we hear rents are really high. They've never been higher. They're going up. But there are still landlords out there who have a good tenant mm. in situ, aren't inclined to jack up the rent, you know, to, to some state, but they are losing money. They are falling behind now. And if a tenant voluntarily leaves, they kind of see an opportunity then. Yeah, yeah. And th- yeah, but th- th- there is another sort of a loophole where you can, if you haven't put the rent up for like 10 years, that you can put it up on the... On the you can you can raise it and there's mm. an online calculator on the RTB website. So you still, yeah. in some situations you can go up um, by more than the four percent, but two percent I think oh, sorry, it is now. But, it, but, it, but it's yeah. rare. Yeah. yeah, it is rare. It All is rare. right, you really uh, need to have done okay. the deep retrofit. Okay, Michael. Well, then no, no to that. Yeah. Um, although, good luck getting your son out yeah. <laughs> once he's in it. Hope he oversees the work well. I'd be dropping down uh, to have a look at it. Catherine Arda, listen. Thanks a million for coming in with all of that clear advice for people. Uh, and of course, people can find out more at your practice, which is um, www.ardalaw.ie. Fantastic. All right. We'll have Catherine in then. I am sure in due course uh, because items like this tend to generate more questions to the home show at newstalk.com and if so, we will do it all again sometime. All righty. Take care. With, we're told, 30,000 new homes coming on stream during this year, first-time buyers will be hoovering up as many as possible that are affordable. So if you're one of them, the question to ask yourself is, are you mortgage ready? Is it just about having your deposit saved or are there other things to consider before signing up for the biggest loan you'll ever have in your life? Well, I'm joined by author of The Mortgage Coach, Joey Sheehan, uh, who will simplify and demystify the whole process for us. Joe, you're very welcome back to The Home Show. Thank you very much, Sinead. Now, let's start with the basics uh, that apply to everyone. How early is too early to start applying for a mortgage or or getting ready for a mortgage? Okay, well, well, the first thing, Sinead, how much can I borrow? So, for a first-time buyer, if you've got a combined income with your partner of, we'll say, €80,000, you can borrow four times that amount. That means you're eligible for a home mortgage of about €320,000. Okay. So let's say if you're buying a property for, we just say, 350000 you then need to have a 10% deposit. So mm. you either need to have that saved, or if you have a part of that, or possibly even all of it gifted from family, that's okay too. But you need 10% of the purchase price. So if you're buying for three fifty, you need 35000 plus 1% for stamp duty, which is about 3500 plus you know, two or three thousand mm. legal fees. So you need to show about forty two thousand euro. Now, how important is the deposit in one sense? Because the government have been shoveling out money at first time buyers for, for a number of years now. And and chief among that, I suppose, is the very popular uh, help to buy scheme, which gives you back up to thirty thousand euros or four years worth of tax if you've paid it. Do banks accept that in lieu of a deposit or do they like to also see a deposit and proof of your own saving? Yeah, so some banks will want to see you build up the deposit yourself, but other banks will allow the help to buy scheme and that's an excellent scheme from the government. 
Now, the one thing to note with that, Sinead, is that that only applies to new-built properties. Mm. So if you're buying a new property for 300000 technically you could use 30000 from the health-to-buy scheme and have no uh, savings for your deposit, albeit you would mm. need 1% for stamp duty yeah. and, and legal fees also. But if you're buying a, new, a second-hand property, you will need the full 10% sure. plus the other outlay. Sure. Now, in terms of that then, when how early would you recommend that people get started with this whole process? I mean, obviously, you know, people who have been thinking of buying a home probably have been saving up money and saving a deposit. So given that they're kind of approaching that 10% level or, or whatever, what do you recommend as the first step and the second step and the third step in, in making sure that it all doesn't go awry? Well, the first thing to do, the minute it pops into your head that you want to buy a property, contact a mortgage broker is the first thing you do, even if you're not planning on doing purchasing for a year or two years or down the road. The reason for this is that preparation is key. So, so some of the pitfalls of, of people not getting approved are, are very simple fixes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, rent. If somebody is paying rent of, we'll say, 1500 a month and they're relying on that to show proven repayment ability... So just to explain about proven repayability, for somebody who wants to borrow 300000 over a term of 35 years, mm. they would need to show proven repayability, depending on the bank, between about €1,200 and €1,800. Euro. So what's allowable for that is rent and also savings. So if you're paying 1500 in rent, then that would be the bulk of it shown. Now, with rent, if it's paid in cash, most banks won't accept that. Okay, so you need so, a rent book, you need proof, direct debits, well, that kind of thing. Standing order, pay your rent by standing order and have it clearly marked in your bank statement as, as rent. rent. Okay, and that shows the bank, look, once this person stops renting and moves to buy, they're going to be able to prioritise their mortgage, they're going to pay us back and they can afford to do so. Exactly. So if you think about buying buying a property and you, you contact us and we might spot that now today and then you change your, your setups, you're paying through your bank rather than coming to us next year mm. and you're paying it in cash and then we're back to square one and we have to wait six months to sort that out. Okay. What it is, contact, us, contact a broker at, your, at the earliest convenience. To have that conversation. Okay, now when, yeah. when it goes to putting in an application, should you do that? Like, there's always that kind of, it's a bit like bringing your car for the NCT. Do you fix it before you bring it for the NCT or do you fail the NCT and then get it fixed? So in terms of a mortgage application, is it the right thing to do to find the house and apply for the mortgage or the other way around? other way around because you know it takes you have to build a six month track record so you know you can still drive your car if you fail the NCT but you can't still get a mortgage if you if you get declined okay so the, the, the biggest one here Sinead is the proven repayment ability which, I, which I've touched on there so what I would say is that you need to have a dedicated savings account mm-hmm. and if we say it's 1500 or 1800 or 2000 is the savings amount that needs to go in every month consistently mm. not not 4,000 one month and zero for two more months. Okay. It has to go in every single month the same. No withdrawals. And then if you get a bonus of an extra three or 4,000, we'll say, that can't, you can't rely on that for your savings. So you need to be doing a set amount every single month uh, and, and keep it in there. Okay. Keep it consistent. So when you apply for a mortgage then, Joey, am I right in saying that if you apply for the mortgage and you get approval in principle, which is kind of like a broad reach over your circumstances, that the, that, that only lasts six months? So does that mean you've only six months then to go out and make sure your builder's on course to finish the house? Yes, it does. But I suppose all things be equal, extension of that approval should be a formality. So at the moment, rates are, are it's kind of unanimous, unanimously accepted that rates are at a high. Mm. And the next rate 
movement should be downwards. Mm-hmm. So from a point of view of underwriting a mortgage, it should be going down. So if, you're, if you get approved today, once you continue saving the same, you should get approved as a matter of formality in six months' time. Okay, so I mean, st- stress test-wise, I know the banks like to add in a, a kind of an extra 2% for, for a comfort blanket. But because rates may be going down, their kind of situation improves. Your your kind of attractiveness as a as a borrower improves as rates yeah, go down. I think I think when rates have been increasing, the bank have definitely been looking at the glass half empty. Mm. Whereas now they'd be looking at it half full because I suppose they didn't know where rates were going to end up. So sometimes somebody might have spent money on you know a wedding or home improvements, and the bank might have been slow a once off expense. The banks might have been slow to add those back in. Mm. Whereas now they're they're looking a bit more positively on those. Grand. Now, tell us what we can expect that's new in 2024. We've seen two banks leave the market, of course, KBC and Ulster Bank. Um, there's a, kind of a few non-bank lenders uh, to, to varying degrees or another. And then there's a new player in the market uh, called MoCo. Uh, tell us a little bit about them, Joey. What are they like? Yeah, that's great news. Um, so we've signed up with them only in the last few weeks. So um, an, an extra player in the market is good for everybody. So um, we're not sure yet of their exact credit policy, but the new, new entrant is good for everybody. Um, they're they an other... Austrian bank, is that right? Austrian bank, yeah. So um, the rates are fairly competitive. Um, so we, we'll have to see how the proof will be in the pudding, but it's, it's great news for everybody. Now, you mentioned earlier on about mortgage brokers. I mean, I, we're all familiar with AIB and Bank of Ireland and PTSB and all that, where you can apply directly for your mortgage. But there are a number of lenders that only deal through brokers. Is that one of the reasons that it's a good idea to go down that avenue? Yeah, so I think we've got uh, MoCo, Haven, uh, Finance Ireland. We've got, we've got three or four banks there that, that only deal through brokers. So we have access. If you go into a bank, you're going to one bank, mm. we have access to, I think, it's seven lenders at this stage. Mm. So, um, obviously, there's going to be more choice. But um, just to touch on, you know, what's the outlook, like, positive news as well, there has been over the last number of months, there's been rate reductions. Permanent TSB have reduced their four-year fixed rate. Avent have dropped their long-term rates. Finance Ireland have, have dropped their rates by 0.45% in the last couple of weeks. Um, ICS have eased their credit policy. Mm. So, w- while rates haven't dropped back to where they were, the movement is in the right direction. They're sensing that rates may be coming down and maybe yeah. they can get their own money a little bit cheaper on the markets. Uh, finally, Joey, then, we have the new mortgage interest tax relief, which was announced in the budget. I say new. I mean, it was in for, like, the best part of 20 years. Um and this entitles people uh, to get 20% back on the extra interest they paid in 2023 over 2023. Are you seeing many queries on that or an uplift in it? Yeah, so this is mainly affecting um, tracker rate customers who had it very good for a very long time, but were hammered in the last couple of years. So they can claim up to €1,250 back, which, which is good news for them. So I gather the process online with revenue online is fairly, fairly easy. Yeah, they make so, you fill out um, a tax return. <laughs> yeah, tax return. And, okay. But you might get money back in the tax maybe Exactly, as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can apply for everything yeah. else as well. All right. There's also good news regarding switching. A couple of banks, Haven and Avent, have reduced their paperwork requirement. So we can obtain rates as low as 3.65% with 2,000 cash back. And all we need to give is ID, three pay slips, a certificate of income and three months current account statements. So the big uh, long list of paperwork for switching a mortgage, that's gone now.
Well, listen, Joey, um, positive stuff there, I would say. And we haven't had that for a long, long time in the mortgage market. Uh, So thanks for bringing that to us. And of course, if anybody is thinking of getting a mortgage, drop us a line. Let us know your process. How are you getting on with it? What are you finding frustrating? And maybe we can find somebody then to give you a little bit of help on that. That's the home show at Newstalk.com. And Joey Sheehan, author of The Mortgage Coach. Thanks a million for joining us from sunny Cork today on uh, the show. I think we'd probably all love if one room in the house was at least a little bit bigger but it's traditionally known as the smallest room for a reason and that is the bathroom. Now when you visit a hotel or a luxurious spa you get all kinds of notions about our own home any of which will be beyond our budget or the size of space that we have available. Never fear. Here to help with some tips on making our bathroom bigger and better is Optimised Designs. Denise O'Connor. Denise you're very welcome back to the Home Show. Thank you Sinead. Bathrooms. Now, we do love a bathroom. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Do you find when you are advising clients, like I know we're now at the stage where everybody needs a bathroom, right? Like as in one per person in the house. (laughs) Every room needs to be en suite, one downstairs, one upstairs. Do you find it's a big um, kind of must have for, for people? It really is. I mean, I think, you know, when I first set up in business, it was in the days of the Celtic Tiger and it was hilarious. Almost every new home, every single bedroom had an ensuite and it was often at the expense of storage. So I think you can go overboard with the bathrooms, but definitely for a family, you know, having only one bathroom, that's going to be a bit of a squeeze, particularly mm. if there's more than a few teenagers in the house. Yeah. So I think at least one bedroom with an ensuite and a really good functional family bathroom is probably adequate for yeah. this family. And I mean, we're, it's only about two generations ago when we didn't even have one bathroom in the house. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a privy <laughs> down the back of the garden. Absolutely. Um, okay, so like bathrooms are are important, no doubt, yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, what are people going for, Denise? Is it that lovely kind of fully tiled, clean kind of marbly look, or or do people now are they getting a little bit warmer with with wood and other fa- other materials? I think it's come on so much. The bathroom, you know, especially I noticed it over COVID. Those were projects people were really keen to tackle once things opened up again, because people started really focusing on doing work to the house that was going to add value for them. So the bathroom really, like you were saying, it's it's like your own personal sanctuary. It's your own little escape, you know, mm-hmm. way to relax. So you really can, in a pretty tiny room, create something really special. So again, it's, you know, when you consider it against other projects that you might tackle in the house, it's probably more affordable, more achievable for people. Mm-hmm. So it's great. And I think, you know, in terms of what people are choosing... There's so much variety out there now. So from amazing porcelain tiles, um, you know, tiles that look like timber. So, so much choice out there. You can really create something that puts your own stamp on your bathroom. I know that a lot of people, uh, when we've done these items before, they they like the idea of having a shower and separate bath. Like yeah. not the shower in the bath, if you yes. know what I mean. Yeah, uh, but yeah. having a freestanding bath and then a whole separate 
unit do you do you, if you have the space and the money is that something people go for I think so like we would always encourage people if you have the space to try and get a bath and a shower especially where it's a family bathroom so you know because you may have family members at different stages so if you've tiny tots you want a bath then if I'm in the bath I don't want any family member no, thank no, you no. very much coming in to have a shower <laughs> no or you might have teenagers who want to shower so they're not going to be using the bath so it just gives you a little Gosh, bit more flexibility okay. but even for people who are tighter on space um, there are are more compact baths so don't rule it out oh, like the little student. Japanese one where you sit in like yeah, the high backed not so much like they're actually more comfortable than you would think so they tend to be a little bit wider or they're shaped slightly differently so really worth exploring the options okay. don't rule it out immediately it's worth having a look okay so if you are redoing your bathroom then and listen Denise it's not cheap no, it's not. And I, I think it does, you know, surprise people. But if you think about a bathroom, it's one of those rooms that will involve pretty much every single trade from an electrician yeah. to a tiler to a, you know, you'll need a contractor, you need a painter. Plumber. You need so many exactly. That jacks specialists. up the cost just because everything Absolutely. has to be coordinated. Yeah. I, yeah. I did a very small ensuite myself, uh, not myself, I supervised the work, paid for it, uh, last year. And um, that was the hardest bit making sure that once the old thing had been ripped out, that everybody was available yeah. in the right order yeah. to come back in and do it. it like, it was really difficult it, to do really that. It's really challenging, Sinead. So I, my advice would be, if possible, hire a main contractor that's going to deal with all those subcontractors yeah. as part of his team. So he coordinates that. And also, you're not making all the phone calls trying to look for a plumber and, exactly. uh, you know, a tiler and all that kind of thing. They know people. They know people. But also, if something goes wrong in one area... Nobody's pointing the finger at somebody else and that that can just be a nightmare. So, yeah. Okay. The other thing to bear in mind with timing on it as well is having everything ordered before you start because the last thing you want is... You know, oh, the tiles aren't the in tiles for Italy until for next week. month. Exactly. Oh, here. And that can yeah. delay everybody. And then if you've got multiple trades one guy might need to go on to a different job and suddenly your four-week project or two-week project takes three months. And your you bathroom's know. out of action the whole That's time. It. Yeah, so it can be difficult. Okay, so line it up main contractor, plan it and order all your stuff. So that means you have to be ahead then in terms of the design of yeah. what you want because the contractors are just going to say, what do you want where? Exactly. Are these tiles for the wall or the floor? I yeah. mean, they're not going to care what your bathroom looks like to some extent. No, and no, and that's important too. Like, don't leave it up to the contractor to make a decision because mm. he just wants to get the job done. Um, so you need to be very clear about what you want, what you want it to look like. Otherwise, it's a huge risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even when it comes down to things like where do you want the towel rail? Yes. Where do you want the toothbrush holders? Yeah. Because that matters, you know. So is it a good idea maybe just to live in the empty space, just stand there and make out like you're brushing your teeth or reaching for the towel or, you know, to try and get a sense of Absolutely. where and, you and need Absolutely. And everything. if like as basically as mark it on the wall with a marker as well. So once everything's stripped out, sort mm. of mark things out so that it's very clear where you want things to go. And think about the practical things like plugs for toothbrush or electric shavers, where that's going to go. Because the last thing you want to do is them to be skimming and tiling and you going, oh, <gasps> I need to put that in. Yeah. So then everything has to come out. So it just adds cost, it adds time, adds frustration. So yeah, the more you can plan, the easier it's going to be. Now, I love the idea, and I say it's an idea because I haven't done it, of having wallpaper in the bathroom. And I, I don't know, I just think there's something kind of luxurious and French about it and old Irish castle about it, you know, yeah. having a half tile and a half thing. Is there any room for it at all? <laughs> no, there is for sure. I think somewhere where you have a shower, where it's going to be a lot of steam. Yeah. Uh, 
the wallpaper, it's going to be very challenging for that okay. to stay on the wall long term. But, you know, if it's in a local area or if it's a very large space with really good ventilation and stuff, definitely. I mean, you probably are just going to have to replace mm. it over time. But then bathrooms need to be maintained. They need to be looked after. So you're going to have to re-silicone everything. You're going to have to look after things every mm. every five or six years. Now, when it comes, of course, the plumber is the key person here yeah. uh, who's going to be around and that means that it's a little bit about heating as much as the water mm-hmm. element. How difficult is it to, re- we all love these kind of standing, uh, the wall heaters yeah, um, where you can put towels and have them lovely and warm and fluffy when you get out of the bath or the shower. How difficult is it, is it to retrofit those in a bathroom? Um, well, if you've got an existing radiator in your bathroom, that's almost just replacing Okay. Your radiator with one of those towel radiators. Something else that's nice to consider if you're retiling your floor is including maybe an electric um, heating mat to go under the tiles. Oh, and can you do that without putting in underfloor heating everywhere? Yeah, so ah. it's they're different. They're almost, how I would describe them is they're like an electric blanket that goes under the tiles, basically, <laughs> okay. if you can think of it that way. So they're expensive to run. So the idea behind these is that you'd have a little panel outside the bathroom. You could turn it on to come on for... 20 minutes, you know, just oh, before you get up. What am I I'm thinking now? Uh, what am I thinking of, folks? People of a certain age, turn off! <laughs> the immersion it and the automatically turn off because it'll be on a thermostat. <laughs> but yes, you can forget and leave it running. But they're just lovely for taking the chill out of the tiles, especially wintertime and stuff. It's a lovely great. idea. It okay. is a really nice idea. Right. So, so heating is important. Where you're yeah. going to, not just heat the room, but where you're going to actually put your towels and warm sure. things up, especially yeah. in the winter. Now, lighting. I don't know that we give a lot of thought to lighting in a bathroom, actually. And it's really important. So, you know, if you think about how you use your bathroom, they serve lots of different functions. So from the very practical, getting ready in the morning, putting on makeup, shaving, whatever it might be. So you need really good lighting for that. Um, Or then you're relaxing, unwinding maybe in the bath. So you want more ambient, you know, Mm. dimmer lights Mm. for that. So it's nice to have a couple of lighting circuits. So one way to do it is to have your normal ceiling lighting. And then maybe you introduce wall lights or maybe it's under cabinet lighting over mirrored cabinet Mm. and put them on separate circuits. And you can get actually those mirrors now that have just a little strip of low, kind of like a blue lighting around them. And they can be quite flattering if you yeah, don't want to no, look at yourself great. in full makeup early You're right. in the morning. And some of them change so you they'll go from cool to warm to you yeah. know so you can operate them. So yeah lots of options available. Okay yeah. so don't don't just stick with the, the pin no. lighting on the no. ceiling. All right. Yeah. Um, so that's heating, uh, lighting, uh, future proof your design. Now wh- what are we talking about here? We're not talking about putting in grab rails and No, no, not not that. Right. But just yeah. think about it long term. So depending what stage you're at, you know, is what you're doing now and investing in because as you rightly said, this is expensive. You know, it's an investment. So make sure you're going to get the use out of it for a long time, that you're not going to have to be radically changing it. And I know things will happen. People have to mm. change things. But try and get as long as, as you can out. As okay. you can, yeah. And then finally, Denise, the tiny details that are the things you don't think will matter, but yeah. then you can't unsee them after yes. they're done. Yes, like your grout, for example. Yes. So I, this is one I come up against so often. We go to see people's houses and they've spent a fortune on bathrooms. They left the grout choice up to the builder and he's put in dark, right. dark grey, oh grout, you know, with yeah. these beautiful tiles. And you're thinking, oh, Lord, 
was so easy <laughs> just to get that right. Yeah. And it's actually it's a messy job to try and undo that. Yeah. And, and if you've right. got any kind of these stone tiles or beige tiles, anything in that range, you can get a grout that's exactly Absolutely. the same colour. Yeah, you can get grout in pretty much any colour at all. So again, speak with the tile stores. Like they're brilliant and they're so good at advising. So mm. lean on these people. They're, they're great, great. And then the little accessories. Yeah. So yeah. you like you do want that. I mean, if you've got chrome for your your towel holder. You should really have chrome for taps and for yes. holders and all that. If you've got that brass look, it should flow through. Everywhere. Is that yeah. recommendable? 100%. Okay. And, and like that follows through to say any handles that might be on a shower door or even tile trims. You know, you get metal tile trims. They can, they all come in there, the black, bronze, brass. So whatever metal you, you choose, make sure it's everywhere. And the same style. And the same style, yeah. exactly. All right. Yeah. Okay, great advice as always, Denise. And you can find Denise on Optimise Design uh, on Instagram. Yes. And uh, she'll have great ideas there and she puts up her little videos and they're all really, really good. So we are always delighted to have her on the show, Denise. Thanks a million My for pleasure. coming Thank in you, again this week. And that is all we have time for, I'm afraid, on the latest episode of The Home Show podcast. You can find all episodes uh, on the Newstalk app or on Newstalk.com, which is powered by Go Loud. And sure, wherever you get your pods from, we're going to be there. Just search for The Home Show with Sinead Ryan and you will find us. If you'd like to get in touch with us or suggest a guest or an item to us, please don't hesitate to email us during the week at thehomeshow at Newstalk.com or you can find me over on Instagram or x at Sinead Ryan 100 and I will be there for you. Uh, thank you for listening this week. We will do it all again next time and I'd like to thank Aidan McKelvey and Simon Keane for this week's production. Stephen Clune was on sound and I'd like to wish you all a very happy weekend and we'll see you all next time. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan Saturday morning at 8 on News Talk.